Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. <laughs> Hi there, folks out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire's combo. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Hello, and welcome back to the Stateside Madness podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. And we're really excited today because this is officially, as of Sunday, August 22nd, our one-year podcast anniversary. Happy anniversary, Polly. Thanks. Happy anniversary, Lori. I, I didn't get you anything. That's okay. I didn't get you anything either. Okay, that's fine. But uh, yeah, it is kind of, kind of crazy. Did not really know that uh, we'd be doing this this long. And... I also consider it kind of successful, which was equally surprising. Yeah. Now, speaking of successful, uh, you got my email yesterday, uh, Friday, August 20th. We hit 5,000 downloads. Uh, that we did. And while uh, 5,000 downloads really isn't the, you know, the Obama Springsteen podcast, as uh, I've come to learn in the world of podcasting, 5,000 downloads is pretty significant because while everybody and their Uncle Larry has a podcast, as you can imagine, the vast majority of them really don't get any listeners. So in the grand scheme of things, we're really, we're really kind of up there. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of bigger ones, but 5,000 is nothing, nothing to sniff at. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you to our listeners. We absolutely could not have done this without you. That is true. Thanks. We've had some really good special guests over the past year. We've had Nick Woodgate. We've had Hector Walker, uh, Steve Martin, and of course, Chrissy Boy. That's true. Yeah. And uh, if liking special guests is your thing, you know, continue to stay tuned. We've got some, we've got some big plans. And uh, yeah, that, that has probably been the most fun. As you can imagine, having guests on takes a little bit of the work off of me and Lori, and it's nice to just have people to talk um, to. And, and Nick and Hector and Steve also are starting to be sort of like friends of uh, Stateside Madness. And uh, it's kind of strange to continue to be emailing and messaging back and forth with these people that, you know, they're, they're in the Madness camp, and that's kind of cool. Okay, so Polly, now that it's been a year, I can finally tell our listeners my embarrassing story from when we started. You might not even remember this, or maybe I, you do. I think I, I think I do, but yeah, go, mm -hmm. go right ahead. Okay, so when Polly and I started hatching this idea for a podcast, we'd actually never spoken, we'd actually never met, except for typing back and forth online. And Polly's avatar online is not a photograph, it's a picture of the Superman logo. And so I saw the name Polly and I assumed that Polly was a woman. And I referred to Polly as she a few times. Polly was very polite, never corrected me, except for saying in one very cryptic message, when I said, okay, we'll, we'll see you uh, for our first episode this weekend. He says, I have a surprise for you. No, he says, you're in for a surprise. And so the first time I logged in and I see this face and video, and you know, hey, here's this bald guy with a mustache and a beard. I'm like, oh, <laughs> so um, totally misgendered you. And I am so, so sorry. I learned my lesson there never to assume, but uh, that had to have been really hilarious for you. Cause I think I turned all different shades of red. <laughs> It was, it was fine. It was great. Uh, I, I knew I could have corrected you, but you know, it was, well, at the time it was 2020 and 
you know, why should we get hung up on such things? It's okay. So is there anything else that you want to talk about as far as like one year, 5,000 downloads, any other? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well, we're sitting on more copies of our house, the best of madness, and we've got CDs and we've got vinyl, and we may as well give them away. The albums have been out a little while, and maybe this is somebody's last chance to get their mitts on it, at least for free. All right. So this giveaway that we're doing is going to be exclusively for listeners to the podcast. So we're not going to be posting this on the social media accounts. We're not going to be posting it on the website. So you're listening. You're already one step ahead. To win, we want you to answer a question. And it, you'll know the answer to this question if you've been listening to our podcast. So the question is, what food do Lee Thompson and Mike Barson like to order after their shows? And we learned that from one of our interviews, uh, one of the episodes of Stateside Madness podcast. I'm not going to tell you which one make you work for it a little bit. So if you know the answer, please email statesidemadness at gmail.com with the answer to the question and also with your mailing address. All right, the cutoff for this is going to be Friday, September 3rd at 11.59 p.m. Eastern time. So please get your answers in before that time. And we're gonna have one other restriction on here. This is gonna be open to addresses in the United States or US territories only. We're not gonna have this open to other countries because unfortunately, Polly is the one that pays for shipping and pays out of his own pocket. And uh, we don't wanna to have to deal with customs and, and international shipping fees and all that kind of stuff. So it is unfortunately only open to people in the US and US territories. All right, so again, Mail your answer to statesidemadness at gmail.com and we'll announce the winners on our next episode, episode 28. So yeah, so this is, let's see, this is now our 27th episode, 5,000 listeners. And by my calculation, about 200 cans of Diet Coke. <laughs> this has probably been our best year. <laughs> it sure has, Suggs. It probably has. All of our best year. We Out of all those kids, years, I can remember. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's probably been my best anyway. I think we owe it all to the kids. I think most of it to the... F to the... Fans. Fans. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, the fans. <laughs> oh, those to the fans. This is a little song of a new album. Up it's a new. bit rough, but... I hope you'll enjoy we're, it. We're anyway. going to brighten it up a little, little, yeah. little bit. The technical skills. Yes. Chris, what time is it? Showtime. Welcome to episode 27 of the Stateside Madness Podcast. One we're going to dedicate to our friend Betters. And why don't we get right into it? All right. So as our listeners who've been with us for a while know, um, my first exposure to madness was the music video for Our House. I would have been 10 years old, give or take. And I have to say that betters in that video, I developed a huge crush on him. He was so cute in that video. When he's looking in the mirror, you know, brother's got a date to keep. He can't hang around. He was the cute one of the band for me. So uh, I always appreciated, I always appreciated the videos. And then there was the video for One Step Beyond. Man, the, he is like moving all over the place. He's got this like little bunny hop thing going on. This guy is like just a ball of frenetic energy. My goodness. So yeah, between those two videos, I, I just, uh, I, I had a little bit of a crush back in the day. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Mark William Bedford was born August 24th, 1961 in Islington, London. August 24th coming up. That is why we choose to do these things. So happy birthday to betters. Happy birthday, Mark, the big 6-0. So betters. Born, Mark William Bedford was born August 24th, 1961 
in Islington, London. His mother, Kathleen, worked in the school as a teaching assistant. His father, Edward, was a printer on Fleet Street. And as a result of his father's work, Mark always had an interest in print and graphic design. And during his primary school years, he was a big fan of Motown. So Mark attended an all-boys grammar school called William Ellis in Highgate Road, Kentish Town. At about age 14, he got his first bass to play in a band, which he described as a typical school group doing Beatles stuff, nothing special. During school, he played with various local bands, including Bros Funk, Rats, that's R-A-T-Z, and Alligator. He was a big fan of blues, R&B, Soul, Mott the Hoople, Steely Dan, and Neil Young's After the Gold Rush. Then, he says, punk came along, and I was a massive Clash fan. And as it turns out, Mark was friends with North London Invaders drummer Gary Dovey. The band arranged for Mark to audition to replace Gavin Rogers. Now, at the time, Madness borrowed the audition space from another band called Split Rivet. Mark was so impressed with the amplifiers and equipment that he thought, you know, being in North London Invaders must have been the big time. He was also impressed by the band's keen fashion sense. Despite some initial reservations from Barson because of Mark's young age, he was still invited to join the band. When Gary Dovey left due to an altercation with Lee, Mark brought aboard his friend, Daniel Woodgate. Yeah, so it is worth noting, you mentioned that, um, that Mike Barson had some reservations about his age. Betters was the youngest one of the band. And there was a spread of, I think, five years between the youngest, who was Betters, and the oldest, who was Chrissy Boy. And that might not seem terribly significant in our age. Five years is nothing. But in your teens, early 20s, the difference between like a 17-year-old and a 22-year-old, that's a huge, huge difference in terms of maturity and life experience. So, I mean, that was a pretty significant gap. Very early on, shortly after the audition, Chrissy Boy gave him the nickname of Betters, and it stuck. During the early years of the band, Mark continued to work as an apprentice screen printer. By all accounts, printing and graphic design were really his passion maybe even more so than playing bass. By the time the band were offered a contract with Stiff Records, Mark was enrolled in a two-year typography course at the London College of Printing. So he was still pursuing graphic design as his intended career. This episode actually kind of has been a little bit of a challenge for us because, well, number one, Betters really didn't have as many writing credits as the other band members. But also because we've been talking so much over the course of the past year about the history of the band that we really don't want to keep repeating ourselves. So Polly and I are assuming at this point that you're familiar with the trajectory of the band. You're familiar with the fact that they signed to Stiff Records. And um, we're going to talk more about some of his other projects, aren't we, Polly? Yeah, that we are. So, you know, you could certainly say that the guy got around and... Um, was pretty well sought after as a session musician. And, um, you know, he's just worked with a ton, of ton of people. And so, yes, like Laurie alluded to, he doesn't have as much in the way of writing credits, but uh, he certainly has a huge portfolio of work. So that's why we're gonna, we're just gonna get into uh, a little bit of the stuff that's a little bit unusual. So it just so happened uh, that Betters played on Robert Wyatt's recording of the Elvis Costello song, Shipbuilding. And thanks to whoever out in madness land, I, I forget, uh, but somebody just posted this a short while ago and I had completely, completely forgot about it. And I came upon uh, the video at one point when I was just, you know, noodling around looking for Elvis Costello songs. That was quite some time ago. But uh, somebody put the video out uh, Robert Wyatt just has an intense, intense delivery on it, and it's a fantastic song. Let's take a listen. Is it worth it? 
So, Lori, hmm. have you caught up on this version of shipbuilding? I had never heard it before until you brought it to my attention. So, yeah, this was from 1982. And I am not familiar with Robert Wyatt. This is the first time I've ever heard anything by him. So uh, it's really, um, I would say, maybe folk influenced. Yeah, a little, a little bit more, perhaps, than the Elvis Costello version. It's a, it's a fairly faithful rendition, but... But Elvis Costello does it really, really well. And I think this was just a fantastic version. To, to give credit to Robert Wyatt, it's, it's probably my favorite version of it. And this is Mark playing the double bass on this song, which is the big stand-up bass. And I love the sound of that instrument. So I really I appreciate Mark's playing in this song, definitely. Absolutely. So we said shipbuilding was 82. He played bass in 1984 on his stiff label mate Tracy Ullman's cover of My Guy's Mad at Me. Now, we're not going to play that one, but it's very easy to find. So go ahead and you uh, look it up on YouTube, Tracy Ullman, My Guy's Mad at Me. And yes, that is Betters on Bass. In 1986, now this was after, you remember, the band had split up, right? So this is what they did, waiting for the ghost train, and then bye. In 86, Betters toured Japan as a backing musician for Kiyoshiro Imawano. He's the Japanese Cliff Richard, at least that's how he's described. He played as a backing musician on that tour, which I thought was kind of interesting. After that tour in 86 in Japan, Woody and Betters joined the Voice of the Beehive. We talked about the Voice of the Beehive when we did our episode on Woody a few months back. Now, Betters played on their debut single, Just a City, in 1987. Let's listen to it. So that was the debut single of the voice of the beehive, just a city. And yes, that is Mark Bedford on bass and Woody Woodgate on drums. Now, shortly after that, after that single was released, Mark left the voice of the beehive to resume his studies at the London college of printing. So by the time voice of the beehive released their first album, Mark was no longer in the band and he was back to his career studying printing. Since the early 1980s, Mark occasionally showed up in pubs to play impromptu sets. As a result of some of these shows, Mark met pianist Louis Vows and multi-instrumentalist Terry Edwards. Now, Terry Edwards, some of you might remember, was formerly of the Higsons, a two-tone act. The three formed the Butterfield Eight in 1988. And the Butterfield Eight, if you also remember, that's a 1960 movie starring Lawrence Harvey and Elizabeth Taylor. And the song they put out that we're going to take a listen to is St. Lyle Drive.
So Polly, we were talking right before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about some of the side projects that Betters has been on. And, and we talked a little bit about Butterfield 8. And I love Butterfield 8, but I mean, I'm a big fan of jazz in general. And you kind of mentioned this really isn't, isn't your bag so much. Yeah, not really. Uh, oddly enough, um, uh, my freshman year in college, I was studying jazz and contemporary music, you know, quickly found out that kind of just wasn't, wasn't my thing. I uh, don't have as much appreciation for jazz as many folks out there, but, you know, not going to, not going to really get into that now. If, uh, if anybody finds happiness, listen to it. Great. Uh, but this just not my thing. But it is really cool. And we encountered this with Woody too. When we did the episode on Woody, it is really cool to see the wide range that betters has as a musician to be able to go from you know rock to ska to jazz and to just kind of seamlessly blend with those different musical styles i really appreciate that i, I really like this song saint lyle drive that's why i chose it i think it really showcases betters bass very nicely <laughs> speaking of this kind of diversity of musical styles there were a few other projects that he engaged in so one of them in 1990 is a band called Bloomsday. Now that was primarily Stephen Irvine and Neil Clark from the Scottish band Lloyd Cole and the Commotions and Chris Thompson from Friends Again. So Mark played double bass for this band and this is a really kind of unusual, almost gothic sounding uh, band to me. I'm going to play a uh, part of a song here that's called Universal Thirst. Now, this is actually a six plus minute track. We're not going to listen to the whole thing, but this is Mark Bedford on double bass, Bloomsday, Universal Thirst. Had you heard that one before, Polly? I'm just curious. No, I, I hadn't. And I, uh, so I looked it up for this episode. Interesting song. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely got that atmospheric, like you said, that sort of goth sort of vibe to it. Um, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a thing. Okay. In 1991, Betters played bass on Morrissey's album, Kill Uncle. We're about to listen to Sing Your Life, a standout song on the album, one of my favorites. Suggs is featured uh, doing backing vocals on this, but I don't know that we're playing that section of the song, but let's take a listen, Sing Your Life. Sing your life, walk right up to the microphone and name All the things that you love, all the things that you love Oh, sing your life 
I have always loved this song. It brings back very good memories for me. I feel the need to mention for the benefit of our listeners, if you're hearing crickets in the background, that is not a commentary on Morrissey. Polly actually has his windows open because it is extremely hot in the United States today. And uh, apparently we have a, a visitor, <laughs> which I think, is, I think that's cool. You know, it's like uh, Polly's wild kingdom. Yeah, we, we only usually hear crickets after my uh, delivery in the don't quote me on that segment. So... <laughs> And 1997 rolls around. Betters has another collaboration with Terry Edwards. Betters happened to write the song, The King of the Cheap Thing, for Terry Edwards and the Scapegoats. He didn't happen to perform on it, though. But uh, a fantastic, fantastic song. Peculiar, oddball. It's got a very, uh, you know, like 60s uh, action cinematic feel to it but also just a crazy uh, distorted guitar. It's a fantastic song. Let's listen. The King of the Cheap Thing. at some point just about everybody has left madness at some point i think suggs once compared it to the hotel california you can check out anytime you like but you can never leave betters did leave the band shortly after the recording of the liberty of norton folgate and he was replaced by graham bush on bass for 2012's we we cc ya ya da da uh, however, Mark did rejoin the band for both the Queen's Diamond Jubilee concert on the roof of Buckingham Palace and the Olympics closing ceremony in 2012. So it was a very, very short hiatus for Mark. Betters has also been a member of the Lee Thompson Scott Orchestra since April 2011. Now, if you're familiar with Thomas Scott Orchestra, it's kind of loaded with a lot of heavy hitters. Let's name drop a few. Seamus Began. Oh, Seamus. He replaced Mike Barson. Yeah, so he's in, in the videos for Uncle Sam and for Swedish Girl. I love Seamus. Terry Edwards. Louis Vows. Terry Edwards and Louis, of course, being from Butterfield 8. Louis Vows also worked with Chris Foreman and, uh, and Tamo in Crunch. Mm -hmm. Absolutely amazing, amazing pianist. And uh, we've been in conversation with him. And we're hoping that he will uh, let us interview him for an episode sometime soon. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, that would be that would be fantastic since you mentioned that. I hope that happens. You'll probably also remember Kevin Burdett. Now, Kevin replaced Chrissy Boy in Madness when Chrissy was on a bit of a hiatus. The Scott Orchestra, fine, fine project from Lee Thompson. We've talked about it before on the podcast. Uh, their standout song, perhaps being Fu Manchu, but there's another great one on there, Bangarang. And we're about to play that, but I'd like to point out Bangarang features Don Penn doing uh, some vocals on there. Don was very, very prominent 60s uh, reggae star, probably late 60s was her sort of her uh, career peak. And also on there is Sharon Shannon. Now, the great thing about this song. You're bringing a reggae veteran. You're bringing somebody who's very prominent in the Irish folk music scene by way of Sharon Shannon. And Sharon, I think on this played, um, I think she played accordion, but a fantastic song. Let's take a listen to Bangarang.
again, you've got that really distinctive Mark Bedford bass on that song, don't you? He's a super, super talented bass player. Now, more recently, he and Terry Edwards again started something called the NJE. Now that stands for the Near Jazz Experience, along with former Higson's drummer, Simon Charterton. There's some really, really neat stuff that uh, the NJE has put out. There's a lot of it on Bandcamp. It's worth checking out if you're into that kind of music. I'd like to play a little bit from the song Voodoo Child. So this is the NJE with Mark Bedford on bass. very early on in this uh, episode even though he's best known for being a, a bassist for his work with madness and these other projects he's also a very talented graphic designer so some of the works that he has designed and this is not an all-inclusive list by any stretch of the imagination um, a few years back there was a double cd compilation called 4040 dr martin's box set and that was such a cool design. It had the little airwear tag, like comes off of the back of a, the Doc Martin's boots. It was a really, really cool looking box set if you can ever get your hands on it. Really nice job with the graphic design. For Madness, Mark designed the covers for both Wonderful in 1999. And he did the Victorian inspired graphics for the Liberty of Norton Folgate stage show which you can see on the DVD. Most recently, he designed the cover for the best of the JoJo Man Band, our friend Nick Woodgate, who shared some of the music with us. And uh, he indicated to us that it was Mark Bedford that designed that really unusual cover for him. So it's nice to know that Mark is still able to, uh, to practice graphic design because that's something he's always been passionate about. All right. So uh, on a more personal note, Mark has been in a relationship with his partner, Cressida, or Cress, since 1997. They have two daughters together, Alice, who was born in 1993, and Olivia, who was born in 1997. Okay. All right. So that's it for our facts on Mark Bedford. But now here's Polly with some alternative facts in the segment we like to call don't quote me on that so what do betters and mike mills of rem have in common it took 40 years and the rest of the band's hard living for them to become the cute ones in the group. Betters once portrayed Frankenstein's monster in a secondary school play. Best production of Sound of Music ever. Betters once stopped a speeding train by sheer force of will. He later told Will's family it was an accident. How did Betters get those doleful puppy dog eyes? Tomo shoplifted them. Much like Shakira, Betters' hips don't lie. But if you ask them if these jeans make you look fat, they'd make something up. Lori, knock, knock. Who's there? 
Betters. Betters who? Betters. We just did a whole episode on him. Come on. Okay, so if you've been following us for a year, you know, when we do a profile for a band member, Polly and I like to count down our top five songs on which the person shares a writing credit. Now, the difficulty with this is we couldn't find 10 songs that Betters had co-written. So, uh, I mean, of course, we're excluding songs which are credited to the entire band. We came up with nine Madness songs, which Betters either wrote or co-wrote. I mean, obviously we're excluding like the song that he wrote for Terry Edwards. So rather than giving you our favorites, we're just gonna walk you through chronologically the songs composed by Mark Bedford. So one of the earliest songs which Mark Bedford co-wrote with the band was in 1979. It was originally called Nutty Sounds. And it was written originally by Suggs, Lee, Betters, and Chrissy Boy. And eventually this song was changed and it evolved into the song called The Nutty Theme, which was eventually credited to all seven band members. But this was kind of the, the proto-nutty theme. This was the original form, Nutty Sounds. <laughs> Think of nutty sounds. Uh, I, I'm fine with it. It shows where they were at that time. But you know, we're all familiar with nutty theme. It's uh, you know, it's kind of a, a hallmark of 1979. Also in 1979, stepping into line. Now this was written by Suggs and Betters. And right now we're going to listen to the John Peel session version. Why not? John Peel's session version because the previous episode we played the album version. I wanted to mix it up a little bit. And and why wouldn't you? Of course. So stepping in a line, we talked about this in the previous episode too, I believe, didn't we? Or was it? I believe that it was in the B-Sides episode. Yes. Yeah. 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 So we we really kind of talked about that one. So I'm not going to, not going to repeat what we're saying, but from what I understand, this is very much a crowd favorite when they play it. I think because it's so up-tempo, it's what the Brits like to call a knees up, which invokes a certain visual image, I suppose. So, <laughs> okay. So one of Mark's only solo writing credits, meaning he's the only writer, was the song Mummy's Boy. So that's also from 79. That was on the album... One step beyond, let's listen to it. 
before too and about the subject matter and i suspect it's going to come up again when we finally do our sexy time for madness episode but mark was interviewed once and said it was a chance to remark on one of my teachers who told me that he still lived at home with his parents boy he must not have thought too highly of that teacher huh no pretty much call him out for being a perv so yeah um i suppose not yeah so moving on to 1980, we've got a Bedford and Foreman composition. It's Deceives the Eye. In the earliest days of my shoplifting career, you could safely say I was filled with fear. It was nail-biting work from the very start, but several quick successes soon gave me heart. After a while, I could pick and with these, some shirts, some trousers, and a few LPs. No one ever stopped me, they didn't seem to care It sometimes seemed to me there was no one there Then a fine summer's day, my mate and me Set off down the west end on our usual spree Things were as normal for an hour or so Then my nimble hands were a bit too slow Two store detectives made a fast approach One grabbed my jacket, the other grabbed my boat So we thought you would last So Laurie, any thoughts on Deceives the Eye? It's absolutely one of my favorite Betters compositions. I'm noticing that a lot of the songs that he's got a writing credit on are very bouncy. And mm-hmm. I know I've used that word before and I feel like maybe I use it too much, but it's got, it's bouncy. Kind of like Betters in that One Step Beyond video, bouncy. I also will go to my grave maintaining that this is the absolute best opening line for a song ever in the earliest days of my shoplifting career best opening line ever anything you want to add about deceives the eye yeah well i i I do tend to like it quite a bit um and like you said uh bouncy song that's can be a hallmark of a bass player's writing style you notice that kind of across across the board you know, they say piano players are all about chord changes. Um, well, bass players are all about the rhythm. Uh, yeah, it's a fantastic song. And, you know, appears on Absolutely, so it doesn't hurt there. Everybody probably knows that that's my favorite Madness album. There's another one that he co-wrote on Absolutely, too. Not Home Today. He co-wrote this one with Suggs. Holly, what do you think of Not Home Today? I'm a fan. You know, it's not something that uh, I think a lot of people pull out, you know, of the catalog and say, yes, this is, you know, this is straight up definitive madness. But nonetheless, a fantastic song. Lyrically, it's actually kind of sad. So I suspect that the lyrics were probably written by Suggs and the music by Betters. I don't know that for a fact. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's from the perspective of a mother whose son has been convicted of a crime. The 12 from the bench stood up and hesitated. He'll be leaving right after this trial. So I'm envisioning this mother, you know, there's a guest in the home. Oh, you know, uh, pass around the tray now. Let's have some tea. Oh, no, my boys haven't seen him. He's been working away. 
Don't bother asking. He's not home today. Well, why is he not home today? Because he's in prison. So it's kind of, you know, the, the mother's trying to put on the good face and, and as mothers tend to do. And uh, there's kind of this little sad subtext to it, I think. It's not dedicated to Tomo's mother by any chance, is it? You know, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> um, and, you know, and that's me just overanalyzing as I am want to do. What's next, Polly? All right. Uh, a song that will probably be familiar to an awful lot of Madness fans. Another Suggs and Betters composition. And also off of Absolutely, it is Disappear. So, Lori, how, how do you like Disappear? Oh, you know, I love this one. It's one of my favorites off of that album. It's got that kind of bouncy, up-tempo um, vibe to it that we're used to from songs that, you know, Betters has a writing credit on. And, you know, I can't for the life of me find, I know I had read at one time, this was about a venue that had been torn down and all the memories that were associated with it. And I can't for the life of me find the name of the venue now. So I apologize for that. Uh, and it's also got that kind of, what, like fake out at the end where you think that it's fading out, but oh, we're back again. And I, it works in this song. It doesn't always work, but it works here. What do you think of Disappear, Polly? Yeah, I, I, I tend, to, tend to like it quite a bit. Unfortunately, kind of probably for the reasons you just said. So why don't I not repeat what you just said and just say that, uh, yeah. I'm fine with it. I think it's a great song. So next up is a song that will be familiar to all of our listeners because it's the theme song to our podcast. This is The Return of the Lost Palmas 7. So Return of the Lost Palmas 7, that's an instrumental song. It was written by Mike Barson, Woody, and Betters. Polly, what you got to say about the Return of the Lost Palmas 7? Well, uh, what can I say? You know, we chose it for a reason. It's a fantastic song. Of course, it's got that Western cinematic vibe. And, you know, who doesn't love it? I, I'm a big fan of Lost Palmas 7. If you can get your hands on it anywhere, please do so. It's an interesting little single, neat looking cover, comes with a little comic book inside it. Fantastic. Go buy it. Moving on to 1984. And again, Suggs and Betters. It's one better day.
So Lori, lay it on me. What do you think about One Better Day? You know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is the single best song that Madness have ever done. Really? Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I do like the song. I'd argue I, I like it probably uh, because of the, the video. I think it, it pairs really well with it. I think it's them doing uh something poignant um yeah it's 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 a very solid madness song there's no denying that but it ain't no baggy trousers you know i had actually heard this song long before i saw the video so uh i first heard the song in maybe 98 and that goes back to that was a total madness the american compilation cd with all of the bright uh, circles on the cover and that was the first time I had heard it and I just played it over and over and over because it was just like wow you know I mean this is just so well written and so well played and I don't think I saw the video until maybe about 2010 and then I think the video really did fit nicely with the the song but I fell in love with the song long before all right, so then the last song that we have today with a Better's writing credit, 1985. This was also covered in our B-Sides episode. This is Maybe in Another Life. Let's listen. thing about this song to me is the writing credit if you look at it it says thompson neil woodgate and bedford and we know who thompson woodgate and bedford are i have been scouring all of my resources the internet uh, the books that are written on the band i've been reaching out to people affiliated with the band Nobody can tell me who this Neil person is. I have absolutely no idea who he is. It's probably like a, a somebody who is a production assistant or something like that, maybe. Yeah. So I'm just very curious to know who he is. But anyway, as far as the song goes, what do you think of it, Polly? I, I'm not a fan. I don't know whether this is uh, because... Uh, Hall and Oates were ascendant at that point and, uh, you know, or Wang Chung or something like that. But this is not, this is them trying to be somebody else. This is not a, not a madness song by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, well, I mean, this is coming off of the heels of um, Mad Not Mad, which is where mm. they were kind of experimenting with, you know, synths and, and more contemporary pop sounds. I do like this one, not just because it's Lee singing, because, you know, I do love whenever Lee sings, but also because I kind of feel like that there's this subtext here. I mean, this was like one of the last things that they put out before they broke up. Maybe things could have gone differently. Maybe in another life, we'd be still together. We'd be doing something else. Again, me overanalyzing, right? Could be. Okay. <laughs> as, I, as I do. So those are the nine Madness songs on which Better shares a writing credit. Again, we did not do any songs that were written by all seven members because, well, that just seemed a little silly. Polly, what do we got coming up in our next episode? So uh, the next episode, uh, I'm going to have a lot of fun with it. We are doing 
sort of a dedication episode to the man himself, Prince Buster. I've been reaching out to a lot, a lot of friends of Madness, a lot of friends of Prince Buster. Uh, we're going to have some interesting interviews with people. If anybody's worried about me just going on and on and pontificating about the Prince, don't you worry. It's not going to be all me. And Lori's going to be here to keep me grounded, too. So it's going to be fantastic. It's driving me crazy that Polly won't let me say who these interviews are because he's got some really, really good ones. And all I can say, because Polly has sworn me to secrecy and I hate it, Polly, I hate keeping this a secret, but everybody tune in next episode, which is Labor Day weekend, uh, September 5th is when this episode's going to air because we, <laughs> we have some amazing interviews in this episode is that okay can i say that that's let fine me? absolutely Ali. <laughs> all right so to close this episode i wanted to play another song by the nje the near jazz experience i really like this one because i think it really showcases betters as bass so this is a song called adrift by the Near Jazz Experience. Thank you for listening this past year. Happy anniversary again, Polly. Happy anniversary, Lori. And uh, it's a goodbye from me. And that's a goodbye for me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness.